And as you can see behind me, we are preaching on game on today. And maybe that's not too much of new news to you because you can see all the decorations from Vacation Bible School are still set up. And that is partially on purpose because we wanted them up for today. We wanted them to be up for just one final day as I thought it'd be great just to talk to all of you about a sermon based on the themes that were learned through Vacation Bible School this week. Now, the other reason why I say it's partially on purpose is because we need your help to take them down. That's, I'm not tall enough. No, we'll get it taken down. But we do want to talk to you this morning about Game On, Vacation Bible School, gearing up for life's big game from 2 Peter 1.3. And why should you hear Vacation Bible School? I mean, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a kid. I didn't come to Vacation Bible School, and now you're making me come to Vacation Bible School. We're pretty smart, aren't we, how we do that? Well, there's a few reasons. First of all, because God's love is not just for little kids. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think these VBS fun things are just for little kids. And we want to dig deep. But sometimes we don't need to dig deep. We just need to look at the surface and see the things that we're overlooking in our everyday life. So I would love this morning just to summarize our four main points that we learned throughout each day. And the four main verses that we talked about each day. And that's what we're going to do about today with today. But... There's another reason why you might want to listen up today. As good parents like all of us are, we should be reviewing the topics that were talked about with our kids. And I know life gets very busy, especially when our kids aren't getting home from VBS till 8.30 at night. And we're rushing home thinking, all right, kids, straight home, straight to shower, straight to bed. And you don't even have time to debrief or talk about what did you learn at Vacation Bible School. So today I'm going to talk to you about what they learned. You can apply it to your own life, or maybe all this is just a review to you. And if so, great, because then you can review it with your kids. And you now have knowledge. When I was a youth pastor, I used to try to send emails to the parents. Sometimes this worked great. I actually did it every week. Like anything, some things you do and then you forget, then you do. But I would send emails to the parents to let them know, this is what we're talking about with your teens this week. So this week as you get time, talk to your kids about these topics. Talk to your kids about these Bible verses. Ask them these questions. Why else should you know about Game On, about this week's Vacation Bible School? Because we are all in a big game. Kids aren't aren't the only ones that play games every day. We're playing a big game, but we're playing it with our life. And we take chances with our life too. So welcome to Game On. And the first thing we're talking about is gear up, get ready, Game On. Whether you like it or not, we are all in a big game the game of life. And we need to gear up. We need to be prepared. Today, I'm going to address you as I, as I address the kids. And today, you can consider me your coach. As I told the kids, you can call me Coach Pastor Patrick. I started off saying you can call me Coach Patrick. And then I decided, wait, what I do today, they're going to probably continue to do for the rest of my life. And Some parents may not like that their kids walk up to the pastor and say, Hey, coach! And it it brings about its own great talking points. But Coach Pastor Patrick. And today we're going to prepare ourselves. We're going to gear up. We're going to get ready to be prepared for the big game. 
Now, this week I was teaching the kids in what we called the field house, or what some people might consider the locker room, or what you guys would know as the youth room. But today, if you want to consider this sanctuary, the locker room, where we're giving ourselves a talk, God is speaking to us today from his word, from scripture, on giving us a pep talk, an encouragement for how do we live in this world? How do we prepare for this big game? Because we can't just ignore what's going on all around us. We can't just ignore what's going on in our life. We need to be prepared for anything that gets thrown our way. And maybe, that's, maybe what's going to be thrown our way is a football. I wish we I could have remembered to bring a real football, but you'll have to settle for a Nerf football. Maybe what gets thrown our way is a basketball. Maybe it's a volleyball. If somebody spikes it on your head, let's hope not. But, hey, Satan loves to do that to us, doesn't he? Or I am calling this a beach ball, but I, I don't really know what they call it. But it's a big ball. Or what happened to my daughter one time in a, a youth room back at her old church is somebody threw a billiard ball, a pool ball at her. And she got a chipped tooth because of it. It was an accident. They were playing that, that um, carpet ball game, and it bounced out of the, of the game and hit her in the mouth. But people and Satan loves to throw balls at you, to throw you off track, to throw you away from God and his plan for your life. Life is full of many pressures. And as you can see from this slide, there's a picture of the balls. There's a picture of somebody juggling the balls. There's a picture of a street sign with different directions to go. You can go this way for health. You can go this way for work, career, friends, family, time. What I love about this picture is it shows everything's kind of in a different direction because we can focus too much on fixing one thing in our life and then it leads us away from the other thing. As we focus on our work, maybe it leads us away from our family or our friends or our health, our career can lead, lead us away from proper time management. Life is very stressful at times. And as you try to juggle the many things in your life, you often find yourself dropping those balls. Ad adults, you're often juggling busy schedules, paying all your bills, making sure kids have all that they need, and raising a family. Or maybe you're juggling your work, your school, your friends, your family, your health, church, hobbies, and more. There's many things which you're, you're trying to work out in your life. But adults, you're also not alone. Kids, I see many kids still in here this morning. And kids are facing tremendous amounts of pressure today as they're trying to figure out who God has created them to be. And that's if we can praise God for the fact that they know that God is in their life and did create them. As they're under tremendous pressure to make good grades, to make good friends, and then trying to impress those friends, trying to impress their teachers, trying to impress their parents. They're juggling all these sports and all these activities. Sometimes they have more things going on in our li their lives than we do. And we want to think, oh, kids have it easy today. They don't have to go out and make the money and pay the bills. That's true. But they're dealing with all their own problems as well. And all these things can just be so extremely overwhelming as the list continues to grow and grow and grow. And we can find ourselves getting lost 
as we try to navigate through life, as we try and navigate using the street signs that the world gives us, but as we follow one direction, it takes us away from another direction. And you notice, none of those street signs there point up to God. All these things in the world, even the good things, can take you away from God if you're not focused on staying on His path. So, we're going to talk just for one quick moment about this. And kids, this should be a recap for you because I talked about this. In life, we said there's many stresses, there's many pressures, there's many problems. There is billiard-sized ball problems, small problems. Maybe that's something little. You stub your toe on a wall. <laughs> okay, that's not little. That hurts, right? But there's little problems. You get stuck in traffic on the way to work. Oh, you forgot to pay a bill, but there's no late fee. You, just, you get mad at yourself. Then you got the football-sized problems or the... Or the, then you move on. Maybe you got the beach ball, the volleyball size problems. So you have small problems. You have medium problems. You have a little bit larger problems with the basketball size problems. With the kids, we brainstormed. We said, what type of problems in your life are the billiard size problems? Ones which, you know, they bug you, but they're not too big of a deal. What type of problems are the beach, the, the volleyball, the basketball, the football size problems in your life? I'll allow you to think about these in your own mind. I'm sure you're going through your own struggles, so you can think through it right now in your mind. What are you going through? Which ball represents your problem? Or maybe you've got some huge problems going on in your life right now. The beach ball. Again, I don't know what to call this ball, so it's a beach ball right now. I, I wanted to bring in a yoga ball or an exercise ball, because that would be really huge, right? We all have many problems in our life. And we try to juggle these problems. Yes, you're going to represent, you're going to see Pastor Patrick try and juggle in front of you. Yes, Pastor Patrick can juggle three balls. Don't try and get me to juggle axes, though. That would not be good. But here's the thing. So many times we try and juggle these balls. In the moment we're juggling more than two things, three things, four things, I mean, these are, this is just three balls. We drop them. And yet sometimes we try and juggle more than three things. We try and do too many things. We think we can do it all on our own. I'm moving these balls away so that I don't trip on them. But we try and juggle so many things, and we think we can do it all on our own. But guess what? We cannot do it. We need God. All these different sized balls of problems, there is not a small enough ball to represent how little these problems are to God. God can juggle all of your problems. It doesn't matter how big they are to you because they are nothing to him. He can juggle your problem and your problem and your problem. He can juggle all of our problems and then some. In fact, he can juggle all of everybody's problems in the entire world. I've got a quote here for you on this next screen. The key to navigating life is to do it with God by your side. The key to navigating life and all of those problems which happen in life, the key to juggling it all is to do it with God by your side. Fortunately, God knows everything we face. 
And no matter how big a problem you may have, no matter how much pressure or stress you have in your life, no matter what your life is filled with, God is here to equip you. God is here to bless you. He wants to make sure that you're trained and ready to go out on the field of life. 2 Peter 1.3 was our Bible verse that we focused on throughout the entire week. And in fact, one of those VBS songs the kids just sung for you is focused on this Bible verse. And it says this, 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power, don't lose sight on that top word, His divine power, not your power, but God's power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called you by His own glory and goodness. God wants to help us and to bless us, but not just in this life, but for all eternity. And this is where this verse starts out. Is God's power, his divine power, gives us everything to have life. But it doesn't stop there, does it? And godliness. When God looks down upon us, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, he sees his son Jesus in our lives. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't see you and all your problems. He sees Christ, his son, covering up all of your sin. I had somebody in this congregation who's not with us this morning. Um, he's been battling some of his own health issues. He told me once after we, I got done preaching, he says, somebody told me this example once of God looking upon your sin. He made it here. Great. Good to see Butch Jackson. Um, he told me this example once that, Somebody told him, or he heard on the radio, I forget the exact reference, but, but this guy always let his sin hold him back. He had asked forgiveness for this sin a long time ago, but he always let him, it hold him back, and as he was praying to God, God, please forgive me, God basically just says, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking He's already forgiven you for this, but we allow it to hold us back from his plan for our life. God wants to help us and to bless us, but not just in this life, but for all eternity. He gives us life. He gives us godliness. Jesus came and paid the price for our sin so that we can know him and have eternal life. And listen to this. Once we know him, he also gives us his word so that we can grow, so we can train in our spiritual gifts and in our armor, so we can encourage not just ourselves, but one another. And so that we can share the gift that God gives us of eternal life with everyone that we encounter. And this leads to the first major point today. And kind of I've been working up to pretty big. Jesus cares about me. Jesus cares about you. This was day one's major point, And it's the first major point for today. Jesus cares about you. We talked about Luke chapter 15, 1 through 7. It might be hard for you to see, but in the bottom right, I wrote the scripture reference. We're not going to have time to go over every Bible story that we talked to the kids about this week. But I want to at least give you the key concepts. And I hope that you write down these slides. Jesus cares about me. The Bible verse Luke 15, 1 to 7. So you can go home, you can look them up, and you can talk to your kids about these things. Or you can apply them to your life, yourself. And we are going to read this one together. So as I'm speaking, you can prepare your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, 1 to 7. Jesus cares about you. He cares about all of us. 
Listen to this. God knows everything about us, the good and the bad, and yet he still desires for us to live with him forever. Now, I don't know about you, but I know of all the bad things I've done in my life, all the things I continue to do that lets him down. And yet, he still desires for us to live with him forever. <coughs> Isn't this great? You know, if this was Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, this would be something that you'd want to push that button, that share button, that tweet button, retreat button, whatever it's called on Instagram. I don't really know if it's still called share, but this is something you'd want to share with people, that God knows everything about you, the good and the bad, and yet he still desires to have a relationship with you. He still desires to live with you forever and to give you life. So we must give him that life. Even though our sins separate us from God, God made a way for us to reconnect with him. And that way is Jesus Christ. God gave us his son, his only son, so that we could live. His son died upon the cross for us so that we could live. So that we can experience a forgiveness and abundant life. John 10.10 tells us, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I came that, I, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. If you're not experiencing abundant life, it's probably because you're too focused on your problems and you're not focused enough on God. So we're going to read this together, Luke 15, 1 to 7. But before I read, I want to give you a little bit of explanation because what we're about to read is called a parable. And I've had some people that have come to me, not in this congregation, but just over time, that said, Pastor Patrick, I, just, I despise reading the parables. They're just confusing to me. I don't understand them. And I hope that I made it easier when I explained that to them that you're maybe looking a little too deep. A parable, so I wrote down my own little definition for it, of what a parable is. A parable is something Jesus would use quite often. And it's basically a story. But let's go a little bit deeper beyond a story. It is a simple spiritual teaching, a lesson, or a story which would have a spiritual point or a purpose for their lives. Now, the part that gets confusing to people is this. A parable in Jesus' day, how he would teach, would generally involve using some type of object from their everyday life. So in this case, what we're about to read about is the parable of the shepherd. These people understood what it meant to shepherd. They understood sheep because it was something from their everyday life. Now, I came from the city environment, so maybe that's why it confused these kids because they didn't understand shepherding or sh sheep. They weren't farmers. You guys understand this a lot better than they do, a lot better than I do. But there is your simple explanation, and we're going to read from Luke 15, 1 to 7. So direct your attention at your Bibles as I read. <clears throat> now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep... If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in an open field, <clears throat> an open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Thank you. Now, for the children, or at least some of the children's groups, we had a lot of fun with this. I got down on my hands and knees, and I acted like I was a sheep. I acted like I was eating the grass, I was walking, and I got lost. For you guys, I'm not going to do that. It would just be humiliating to do up here on the stage. But I would discuss it briefly. I will talk about it. Here's the thing. Jesus told this story to help the Pharisees and the scribes understand something about himself. Jesus cares about all of his people. All of his people. Just like a shepherd who cares for all of his sheep. It doesn't matter if they are hated tax collectors, everyday sinners, or respected church leaders. Jesus cares about all of them. You know why? This is one of, um, another one of those shareable statements. Everyone is a sinner in need of a savior. Everyone is a sinner in need of a savior. So who is most important to God? This is something else that story is addressing because the Pharisees are thinking, who is this man that's sitting with the tax collectors? Why would he be sitting with those people? Those people are unclean. Those people are bad. Those people don't deserve his attention. Because that's what a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees thought. They wouldn't get taught because they were unclean. So who is most important to God? Are you most important to God? Are the deacons the most important to God? Maybe one of the retired pastors in this congregation or in this community. But what about me, your current pastor, the guy up here on the stage preaching to you? No, none of us are more, most important to God. You know why? Because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. God cares about all of us. God cares about everyone equally, just as a good shepherd cared for his sheep. In fact, this parable, this story, is a great representation of us. And that was the point. Jesus is that good shepherd, and we are the sheep. And as dumb as that may sound, because sheep, from what I've been told, are dumb, they get down, they're eating their food, they... See, I almost got down on my knees and started acting it out for you. But the, the sheep start eating their food. They walk, they walk, and then they get lost because they get so focused on eating that by the time they know it, they've walked a half mile away. And if it wasn't for the shepherd watching out for them with his shepherd's hook, maybe they'd fall off a cliff. Or maybe they'd walk into some woods where there's some wolves or a lion waiting to devour them. But no, the good shepherd, when he sees that one sheep missing... He goes off and looks for them. He finds them. Now, some people would say, well, why would he do that? He has 99 other good sheep right here. But Jesus tells us he goes off and looks for that one. Because the 99 are not a problem right now. They're good. They're all together. And sometimes we're thinking too much about the what ifs, what if, what if. When we need to deal with right now. Right now, we have one sheep that's missing. And we need to go find it. Jesus cared about all of his sheep. And in fact, so much that just as the shepherd pursues that lost sheep, Jesus pursues us, and he's just waiting for us to turn around and accept him. And then when we do, we're told, and all of heaven rejoices 
over that one lost soul which is found. All of heaven rejoices. That is awesome to read and to hear. When do we rejoice? This week, we shared that there were several children that accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior in vacation Bible school. And we could focus so much on the little bits of information. And I, I did at certain points. I thought, well, these kids are so young. There's so many things to go on in their life still. But that's not what the Bible tells us. Just like when we want to focus on baptisms and, oh, well, is this the time to be baptized? Or maybe I'm not ready. Maybe I need to wait. Maybe I'm too old. Maybe I'm too young. Maybe I'm too big. Maybe I'm too little. That's not what we're told. We're told all of heaven rejoices over that lost sheep, over that lost soul that is saved. The daily Bible verse for day one was this, Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much Jesus shows he cares for us. And it's because of this great love that we have hope. And that was day two and today's second point for you. Jesus gives me hope. People try to find hope in many worldly things. Finances. You think, I have hope because I'm finally out of debt. I have hope because I finally got this credit card paid off. Or maybe it's possessions. I have hope because I got a brand new car and I don't have to worry about breaking down anymore, about always having it in the shop. Maybe we find hope in our politics. Oh, we have hope. We finally have this president in, in office now we can trust. Or maybe we have hope in our relationships with people. But all of these sources will let us down. The one true source of hope is Jesus Christ. He is God and he is perfectly faithful. Psalm 86, 15, we read, But you, O Lord, are a God of mercy and grace, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need that part that says slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness because sometimes I just don't get it. Sometimes it takes me a while to finally grasp on and say, and then I come to the Lord on my knees and I say, God, I'm sorry that it took me so long to finally see what you're trying to tell me. And sometimes it's only after I try and do it all on my own. And that's when we love God for his steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus not only healed many people, their physical illnesses, their mental illnesses, but he also raised people from the dead. And we talked about this in this story. John chapter 11, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Four days after, he was buried in the tomb. People didn't believe that it could happen because they, they had already sent Jesus the word before his dad saying, Jesus, please hurry, please come. Your friend, Lazarus, is very sick, very ill. Your friend is dying. But Jesus, he didn't, he, he didn't go right then. He made it wait. And in fact, Jesus had all the power to snap his fingers. Jesus had, could heal him with just a thought. But he didn't because he had a purpose and it would glorify his father. But Jesus does heal him. Jesus brings him back from the dead four days after he was, he was buried. And this is only a hint of Jesus' power to be victorious over death. As we would see in Jesus' own life, how he raised himself from death. Again, we don't have time to read every story. I'd love to read in detail this, but you can look yourself to John chapter 11 and make sure you cross-reference too. Read some context there. But Jesus gives us hope. 
And the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead helps us see this hope. Because it helps us see the power that Jesus had. He didn't just have power, and he doesn't just have power. And he'd speak in the present tense. It's not just in the past. Jesus doesn't just have power over our physical illnesses, our mental illnesses, our spiritual illnesses. He has power over everything because he is God. He is in control. You are in whatever situation you are, either because you've put yourself there or because you're where God wants you to be. And we just need to pray that God helps sustain us through it. We need to pray, God, give us the strength to continue to glorify you during this storm, whatever we're in. Jesus gives us hope, a hope which never leaves, but we must give our lives to him. For us to find and receive the hope that he gives, we must first give our life up and give it to him. John eleven twenty five, 25, which was the verse of this day, says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Even in death we have hope, because even in death we are victorious in eternal life with Jesus Christ. Jesus helps us to believe. You know, it's not just that. Jesus helps us believe, but he also helps us to begin to comprehend, begin to understand everything in his word. We can't comprehend everything when he's not in in our life to help us. Because we need that mediator. We need that spirit within us. The third day's point and today's point was Jesus helps us to believe. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he made forgiveness available to all people. Acts 2.21 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God wants us to give our lives to him. To experience everlasting life. But we continue to hold on to certain things as we struggle with our own beliefs. And this isn't anything new. In John chapter 20, verse 19 to 31, again, it's wrote on the bottom of the slide, we have another story of somebody who doubted. And this was Thomas. This was one of Jesus' own disciples. Jesus appeared to his disciples in a locked room. And then the disciples went, and this was after he had died and rose again. He went to the disciples. He showed them, I am alive. And as we, we had fun with the kids, we talked about how he said, peace be with you. Peace. And we talked about, why would he say peace? Probably because he just appeared in a locked room. They're saying, oh, no, what just happened? This door is locked. How do you get And he said, peace. I am here. It is Jesus. So these disciples were so excited to go to Thomas, who was the one that was not there, to tell him, Jesus is alive. We saw him with our own two eyes. But Thomas says, I will not believe until I can put my hand in his wound, until I can put my fingers in, in his scars on his hand, his holes in his hands. And then Jesus does show up to Thomas a week later, and Thomas believes. Jesus told him in John twenty twenty nine. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus knew that there would come a day when we would have to believe without putting our fingers in his wounds. But we still see the effects in everyday life and creation in the world, and we can believe. But we need to accept the fact that we don't know it all, and he does. Once we believe, we have the Spirit within us to help us believe and to help us to understand 
We need to accept that we don't understand everything. And there's some things that we won't understand until we believe. There's some things we'll never understand. And maybe someday when we're in his presence, we'll get to ask him about. Or maybe at that time, we won't even care anymore because we'll be in his presence. We'll be too busy worshiping him day and night, just like the angels. When we come to Jesus, he is the one who gives us faith. He loves us and he meets us where we are, but then he changes our lives too. We can't ignore that. We can't just come to him and expect not to change. That's our evidence for our faith. That's the evidence for the spirit being within us is a changed life. And we should want that change. Jesus loves us and he gives us joy. The final day and the final point for today is Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Each and every single one of you, maybe you needed to learn something different. Something else hit you. Maybe you need to know that Jesus cares about you. Maybe you needed to know that Jesus gives you hope. Maybe you needed to know that Jesus helps you to believe. In times of doubt, Jesus helps you believe. Maybe you needed to know this. Maybe you don't feel loved. Maybe it's because you're too busy beating up on yourself and saying, why would somebody love me? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. On day four, we looked at several stories, but the biggest story was this one on the left. Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Something that Larry Foster and I tried to demonstrate to the kids. I don't think it worked too well, but the kids did have fun with it. Jesus came into the world, and he gave us this ultimate example of serving, of humbling ourselves for another. His life is an example to live by as we look to the cross. Mark 10, verse 45 tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. But why washing feet? Why go there? Jesus gave us this example of washing feet because it shows us love and service to other people. It shows us how we humble ourselves before others, that even the master humbled himself to serve the servant. And trust me, that was a pretty big example because back in this day, there weren't shoes and socks, there weren't boots, there weren't paved roads. There may have been some um, pretty primitive paved roads, but not like we have. These people were walking through dirt and mud in the same places where animals walked and did their thing. And Jesus took the feet he washed them. And Peter, he said, no, no, Lord, you must not wash my feet. No, you can't touch my feet. He, had a, he, he held God up here, Jesus up here. He knew Jesus. No, you are the master. You can't wash my feet. But God told him, I must wash your feet for you to have a place with me, <clears throat> to have part with me. It's different wording. I don't have it wrote down here in front of me. I'm sorry. But that's the other thing. The other reason why he washed the feet is to show them that we are filthy in sin. And really, it was one that needed this the most. It was Judas for betraying Jesus. But we all need to be washed because our sins make us filthy. The sin needs to be washed away. And it's because of his love for us, his service to us, that we may also read this following verse with confidence. Romans 8, 38 to 39. Many of you have this memorized. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Regardless of the circumstances that come into our lives, we can have joy in knowing God loves us, and because of that love, he's with us through it all. He shows us his love every single day, and he also uses this love in our lives to show it to people around us too. He has a lifetime and an eternity beyond that of blessings prepared for us when we seek him and his plan for our lives. You can read that in Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. God wants us to stay close to him so that we may bear fruit and be filled with his joy, be filled with his spirit, and have a life covered in his armor. But what type of fruit are you bearing? What type of armor are you using? Or do you forget that it's even there? Today's four verse, and today's verse is this. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. God desires for us to act like his children and to treat him like a father. But not an earthly father, a heavenly father, perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present father. Our fathers in everyday life, we look up to them, we do, but they can still let us down. I let my kids down all the time. And I apologize for that to them too, probably not as much as I should. But our heavenly father, he's always there. He doesn't let us down, we let him down. We are his children, children of God. We're not children of Satan. We're children of God, and yet sometimes we act more like the opposite. If there are two things in our life that we tend to forget, and Satan uses this greatly against us, it's this. Number one, we tend to forget that we're children of God and the power that that brings to our life. Number two, we tend to forget that we have the Spirit of God living inside of us because of that. This brings great power into our lives, a power that can shut down Satan and his armies, a power that can deflect his arrows and attacks. But we must remember the strengths that we have within. And on to the second part of that verse as we begin to wrap up. <clears throat> the world does not know him like we do, or as the Father desires them to. They didn't know him then, and they don't know him today, but we are commanded to go off into all creation and make disciples. We're commanded to show them this love that we have. Show them the forgiveness that we have. Lead them to Christ. God created us to have a relationship with him that lasts forever. People need to hear that. Our lives are going to be meaningless and without true hope until we give our lives to Jesus. I had never seen this illustration before. But we used it with vacation Bible school with referees on the sides. And it says, God rules. God rules all of creation, all of the world. He created it all. And we sinned. It's because that sin that it separates us from his kingdom, from his plan, from his purpose, from him. But God provided. God provided Jesus. And Jesus gives us an opportunity of forgiveness. But we need to respond and then you guys, some of you should know the rest, the ABCs. We need to admit that we are a sinner. We need to repent. We need to believe in Jesus as God's son and the cross and receive life. 
We need to ask for forgiveness and we need to confess our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. God has given you everything that you need to have life, to have godliness, to know him truly. But you must look to him and his word. We must look to him daily. The game is on. Are you ready? Are you gearing up? Are you getting ready? Game on. Now's the time. So as the worship band comes up, we're going to pray. I apologize we went a little bit late today, but it's good stuff that we need to hear. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you guys, maybe you've never prayed like this before. We're going to just pray the sinner's prayer. And I ask you to pray with me. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray in your head. But if you pray this prayer and it's the first time you've ever prayed it and you really mean it with everything that's within you, the Spirit's leading you to say it. You need this changed life. You want this changed life. Come see me. Come tell me that you prayed it. Come tell me that you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Talk to somebody. This is a celebration. It's something to celebrate with. So I'm going to pray. Please, everybody, close your eyes as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and living and dying upon the cross for us, giving us what we don't deserve. You give us hope. You show us that you care for us. You show us that there's hope. You show us that we can believe. And Lord, you show us that you love us. You gave the ultimate example of love as you humbled yourself, the master, in front of the servants. We should be slaving for you. But no, Lord, you died upon the cross for us. So, Lord, we pray this prayer now. Thank you, Lord, for dying upon the cross. Please forgive us now for our sins, for letting you down, for continually going against your plan and how you tell us to live in your word. We ask now for forgiveness. We trust in you as Lord and Savior, and we believe in you. May we be used by you today and for the rest of our lives. And in your holy and powerful name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thank you.